Hello there, this is Ricardo Silvestre. I'm back with another episode of the Liberal Europe podcast in lockdown, European Liberal Forum project, where we talk with some of the guests from the webinar series Liberties in Lockdown from ELF, where we tackle some of the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic in the European Union. And today I'll be speaking with Eva Tasheva. Eva is the co-founder and cybersecurity lead at Cybersecurity and Energy SCS, also Cyan. And we talk about cybersecurity in the time of COVID and even after that. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of June. I'm here with Eva Tasheva. Eva, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Ricardo. It's a real pleasure. Oh, it's great to have you here. And I saw you on the webinar, Liberties in Lockdown. My home is not my castle. That was a very cool name. And uh, I was interested, very interested in your participation because you brought up some really important points that I wanted to continue our conversation here. And one of them uh, that you mention often, and I would like to have more on this, it's a right to protection. So let's start with that. What is for you the right to protection? How is this important? Why should this be on the front lines when we think about cybersecurity? Yes, um, indeed, Ricardo, the podcast was very timely. Um, As you know, we are all now in a COVID situation, uh, which for the moment we see as a crisis, uh, but I see as a trigger for change. And so when we speak about the right for protection, Now we see how governments um, have to um, activate their forces and do what uh, governments role is normally to protect its citizens. And this is valid for them, for the physical world, for the health and life of their citizens. But this is also valid for for their rights and for for their property. So the right for protection I see um, in three um, different aspects. Uh, First, uh, the protection of the private life, um, then the protection of democracy, and then the protection of property, so the ownership and the assets we we own as citizens. Um, And they're both, they're three to some certain extent linked, uh, but they go in different directions. When we speak about the private life, we know that this is definitely a human right. This is also in the Council of uh, Europe Charter. Um, So this is one of those rights that is um, prevailing and that um, is a key priority. And so private life in digital space could not happen without securing um, the the data that we have um, nowadays, you know, everything, all our life is happening online. Now I'm speaking to you, right? We are doing this through, uh, through a call, through a digital call. Uh, but I was calling my friends and my family yesterday, um, again, uh, through different media. We know everyone is working online now, so we have all our private life, all our communication, all our memories, but also all our assets and professional achievements, copyright, uh, in the digital space. If we were to protect this, um, so governments should help also uh, protect um, the cyber security of citizens. 
I mentioned democracy uh, because it is it was very topical a couple of years ago through the big uh, elections um, happening in US in Europe uh, I see now how um, information or rather disinformation uh, from political figures is also shaping and balancing um, let's say the public opinion and this is also uh, one aspect uh, that we have the right to receive uh, um, proper information and to have proper governance. Um, property is one aspect that I'm also uh, professionally, this is my work uh, to protect, to help companies, to help people protect their assets. Mm -hmm. um, so in cybersecurity, this is infrastructure, uh, this is uh, data. Uh, we know that um, sometimes um, we are not still that mature in cybersecurity. So whenever companies fail to protect their own assets or their own services and so then the government also has a role to help uh, and help them protect so um, this is how i how i see the right of protection yes in europe we've been doing some steps in that direction for example the um, protection of data that you already mentioned but for example i'm going to bring this one in particular it's not from the european union it's from the united states but it was very worrisome that as we were recording this podcast not too long ago, like a week ago, there was a debate on the U.S. Senate about the possibility that the U.S. government could watch at your browser history without having a warrant for that. And I'm, I'm worried with China also uh, being so intrusive. How can European Union maintain our values, maintain our principles. Mm -hmm. um, yes, indeed. So um, we see indeed that in different regions there's uh, different discussions going on. Uh, and Europe was one that has set the GDPR, so the General Data Protection Regulation, as the standard for protection the the, the personal data uh, of um, of citizens. And so we saw how with this regulation, which is um, Okay, it's not new. In the past, we also had the privacy regulation, but this one was more enforceable with much more instruments, and we had also the capacity of, um, of member states, of the authorities, to go investigate, audit, and also find companies that don't respect the, the private life of citizens. And we saw with a legal instrument that's very specific and that is very tangible how companies operating in Europe, and I think this is the majority of the big companies, um, they had, they took this standard and they applied it for their, for their global operations. So they kind of translated the European standard globally, and this is how Europe influenced, in a way, uh, for better, the protection of private life um, of uh, citizens globally. Unfortunately, when, when we have discussions going into um, national security, um, going into protection that is understood as the protection of the cyberspace, uh, whatever uh, this is, uh, some governments take advantage, um, take advantage and, and, and pass um, more restrictive or more like surveillance uh, measures. Uh, but indeed, um, I see that Europe has a role to play, it made the first step, but now we have to continue having this 
this voice and actually proposing tangible standards that could be applied because just by speaking yes we would understand what uh, um, we might find some consensus we might find some points of common uh, let's say grounds uh, but it won't be as enforceable as as, um, as the gdpr for instance was um, and in a way i see still the discussions as even if uh, on a measure that might restrict uh, heavily the, the right to, um, in this case, to search uh, or to speech, uh, it's still good to have discussions so that we, um, people will, are aware of the plans, people are aware of the needs, and people have a chance to, uh, to come together with their, uh, with their views, with their um let's say, to protect their own rights, um, because much of the bad things that happen are those that we don't speak about. So they just happen behind people's backs. Yes, and I'm going to echo what you just mentioned, that is Europe as a beacon of protection. And, and, and I dare to say of rationality, because we did have the GDPR and as you mentioned, this had had repercussions, and I saw I see them. For example, in the United States, there's a lot of Americans that look at Europe and say, "That's a good solution, <laughs> what they're doing." But as you mentioned, also in question of cybersecurity, mm -hmm. Europe should lead the way, and then try to have other countries, particularly the big companies that are American-based, but they want to uh, have a foothold in, here in Europe and tell them, "This is are the rules of the game." And if you want to be in Europe, you have to follow our rules. With that, mm -hmm. I'm going to go to a, 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 another topic because you, another thing that really was interesting that you mentioned was that a need for a common approach to cybersecurity in the European Union. And this is interesting because I was reading to get ready for our conversation. This is not new. Of course, COVID-19 pandemic made this even more important. But there are people that have been asking for this for some time now. Again, tell us why is this so important? It is, uh, it is crucial indeed to have a common approach in cybersecurity as, as Europe. Why, on the one hand, um, the voice is much stronger when we speak about international uh, space. So it's one thing if um, a company, if a, a country, a Belgium, uh, country that I live in um, has a, a law or approach to specific aspects in cybersecurity, um, but those would be just a tiny drop in the in the ocean, right? So by resonating each member state's voice in a European level, we have a stronger voice going out and uh, negotiating uh, globally. Um, on the other hand, there's also the practicalities of cybersecurity. Um, so we we could not um, stop the internet or divide it. Okay, here is Germany, so these rules apply, and then this is France, so uh, that rules apply. So it doesn't make sense. We create internal conflicts if we don't agree on a common rules and common approach where citizens would feel confident so whenever wherever they go in the EU their rights are protected and they have equal uh, protection uh, adequate protection whether in Bulgaria or in in, uh, um, in Germany if we go even further there's very very let's say issue that we 
each individual state cannot address individually to today and this is the issue of capacity. So we have indeed countries like France, um, I, I, countries like Germany, Estonia, that traditionally has built this cybersecurity capacity, but those are rather exceptions than the rule. And so to be able to have a common ground of and common uh, adequate protection across the EU, we need to come together and put this capacity together and allow the European institutions like ENISA, who, which is the cybersecurity agency for a good reason, to disseminate these best practices, to spread these um, tools uh, to, for instance, when we speak about cybersecurity, it's a lot about, um, uh, let's say, uh, how detection. So if we don't have um, information coming from different sources, we won't be able to, uh, to timely detect uh, threat. On the other hand, awareness is, is one, let's say, the most significant challenges because it's not technological per se. So if it's a technology, you might put a lot of money, good people, they will develop the technology, solve the issue. If it's behavior issue as, um, let's say, the human factors of people uh, in cybersecurity and their actions have repercussion as well for the security, then it's much more difficult um, for each member state to create uh, the campaigns to target uh, properly uh, the, the communication. And for this, we risk to have significant disparities and gaps. And for this, we need uh, uh, the agency ENISA to, uh, to have European-wide communication whereby member states could pick up and then develop based on that their specific communication that they have already the tool they already have the the framework to do that yes and i'm going to add this information to the podcast description about anisa and because uh, we as europeans we should be uh taking close attention to what's going on Changing, changing now gears to a little more granular, because as we're talking about the European Union as a whole, there is another subsector, which is uh, the, uh, the, the commercial sector, the private sector. And particularly, you mentioned the importance of uh, small and medium enterprises to be protected in a cybersecurity area. How can we ensure then this happens? What are the resources needed? Please let us know and people that are listening to this and, and identifying with, yes, I do have a small company and I do feel that need. Uh, what can be done and where are the resources to do this? Yes, uh, indeed. So when we speak about SMEs, we know this is, and it's a cliche to say it, but it's the backbone of the European economy. I've looked up as well the stats uh, for, for this podcast and um, we have in Europe, in 2018, we had 25 million SMEs. So this, for me, it's an it's an enormous number of small companies that are that are driving the economy forward. And so, to be able to cover all these 25 million companies, you really need to have um, a very well thought approach, and you really need to um, to leverage um, what you have in terms of resources when you speak about cybersecurity uh, expertise, when you speak about tools, when you speak about 
rules as well. Why I mention rules um, and um, and expertise, I think this is um, this is one of the key, let's say, driver to help actually pick up um, the level of security uh, because you might not know, but currently uh, the maturity. So this is the how good we are in cybersecurity for SMEs is relatively low. So not much is made to uh, to secure the assets, the processes, the uh, the data of um, SMEs, not because they don't want to, uh, just because um, majority um, doesn't have the time or sources to think about this. Uh, most important is to run the business, which is quite understandable. Uh, but on the, on the other hand, also, you don't know what is the threat, so you don't really know uh, what could happen. And so if you know what could happen, you could is more easily create the measures to protect uh, your your business uh, from this you know unfortunate event kind of a risk and so for this for SMEs to know what could happen to them and what could they take as a measure uh, to con to prevent this uh, unfortunate event they need information they need the government to inform them they need they need the industry so uh, whether it's uh, the Microsoft, the Googles, to communicate with their users, okay, use these two, those are the risks in uh, cybersecurity, those are the uh, the threats, this is a trend, the, you fall into this group, so it's good to have this and that measure uh, in place. So here I see the role of um, academia as well, on the one hand, to drive the research, so to, to create this content, to create this information, and to disseminate it, uh, obviously, um, to, to, to people. So um, people like you could uh, could have a, a, an expert on, on the podcast mm -hmm. that would share uh, with SMEs, with citizens, what are the threats, what are the measures. But on the other hand, when we speak of academia, I think university and those are also the hubs where we need to to work out a little bit how they uh, how they work how they create new uh, cybersecurity experts or, or professionals. Uh, why I'm saying this is uh, because we clearly have a gap of expertise. Um, I've mentioned 25 million uh, SMEs. Uh, apparently, we have 2.8 million cybersecurity professionals globally. So somehow this expertise needs to be stretched, needs to be disseminated, and ideally it needs to be also um, increased. Um, so the, the cybersecurity experts needs to, we need to have more of that. And for this, we need universities, we need companies, we need governments to train, but also to, to disseminate mm. the knowledge there is already, to create the links. And here again, we come to the role of EU. Yes. yes. So as you as we can see for what you're telling us, there is a big market and there's a big need and there's got to be those synergies that you're just mentioning, which uh, takes me back to uh, one uh, topic that we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, which is the protection of property, because one of the things that uh, it's underlying on this SME uh, conversation is exactly the protection of the property apart from being protected of cyber attacks. Tell me, uh, for example, the work you do, you, you work in this area, and uh, 
what are the, the mechanisms, what are the solutions for this kind of uh, protection, for this kind of work? So if people come to you, what kind of needs they have, what kind of solutions can you bring? Um, yes, indeed. So um, I work as a consultant, um, cybersecurity consultant, uh, which means that coming from my government affairs policy uh, background and then specializing in cybersecurity as a sector, I have also I'm also able to help companies in the area of um, we call GRC. So governance, risk and compliance. Uh, what does that mean is that um, majority of my clients are uh, very large organizations, uh, they're essential services. So those companies uh, that citizens need to be running so that they could um, uh, they could continue their everyday life. Um, it's not digital companies, but those that we need to uh, to go to the to travel to um, banking. So those services that we need uh, to keep on living. Uh, and for them, as you know, those are also very large organizations with very um, complex processes. Uh, what I do is I help uh, the company understand first the legislation. Um, now we have the European NIST directive, uh, which was transposed in different national legislation. So we have a legal document that companies, essential services, need to uh, conform to to have cybersecurity measures um, to notify incidents, for instance, uh, but also to have a risk approach when it comes to uh, cybersecurity. So what I help is uh, what I do is I help them understand the law, what is there uh, for them, what are their legal obligations. I uh, help them design the program. What um, what do you need to do to actually respond uh, to this legislation? Uh, but also in the process, obviously the trigger comes from a legislation, but the objective is to protect the assets um, of the. Uh, of these companies, so uh, I go in and we discuss. Okay, what what is key to your business? What do you what processes do you need sales or do you need what do you need to run to continue your business? And then we try to to define what are the risks uh, to this process, uh, what are the threats out there. So to adjust the measures accordingly, and if you are uh, to have, you know, you have a toolbox of measures that are traditionally used for cybersecurity. So it, it, it's the common ground, such things like encryption, things like um, password, strong password, ideally multi-factor authentication, uh, but also you have things like specific um, processes. So who needs to uh, to speak to whom when there is an incident, how do you escalate this, how do you contain this, um, do we have a log detection capacity, uh, how do you communicate to your employees, um, so do they, those people know uh, that they have a critical role to play in protecting uh, the assets and cybersecurity of the company, how do you improve their knowledge and awareness. And so I come at this point where I help companies understand uh, what is at stake in terms of legislation, threats, risks, help them understand, okay, what are the services that we need and how these need to be protected. So what are the measures um, that we need to implement and then help them 
define these processes, policies uh, that would then be passed on to the to the technical experts, the ICT experts, um, to to then implement um, in terms of technical, uh, let's say, solutions. So, Eva, you gave us a, a, a roadmap, a very comprehensive roadmap uh, to deal with uh, uh, cyber security, and I thank you for that. And for people listening to us and wanted to know more, tell us where can people follow your work? Uh, yes, yeah, so please uh, do follow me on LinkedIn, uh, on Twitter, um, Eva Tasheva, uh, it's, it's just my name, or the company Cyan on uh, LinkedIn as well, or on our website www.cyan.com cyan.eu. There you could find uh, information of of practical advices, uh, some things that uh, I'm facing in my in my daily work and I want to share. I see that it's it's topical. I normally write small posts. I um, share information of events, of, um, of other training opportunities, um, as well as um, anything that is linked to cybersecurity uh, for, for non, let's say, experts. Uh, Eva, this was a very cool conversation. It was very interesting. I'm very happy that uh, uh, you came to the podcast to talk more about cybersecurity, which is something that I do care about a lot on a slightly different area, but I'm going to challenge you to come back and we can talk about it, which is protecting democracy in a digital digital era. There are a lot of cyber actors out there that we know that use both social media, uh, direct attacks, st- stealing of information, and then weaponizing that information. So I'm going to ask you to please come back. So I would love to have your opinions on that. But for now, Eva, this was a great pleasure. And thank you so much for coming to the podcast. It was really my pleasure. Thank you very much. And I look forward to hearing also the feedback from from our listeners. What do they want to hear more? Don't hesitate to reach out to Ricardo or to me and and, and we could deliver. I'm back just to remind you that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you like it, give us a five star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. Now for some of the events organized by ELF for the second part of June. On the 24th of June, we have ELF ID Accelerated 2020 Flight Free Edition. This event is going to be online and following last year's success, ELF is proud to organize the second edition of this flagship event, the Idea Accelerator. Should we be afraid of the future and the world waiting for us post-COVID-19? Will we be living in unbearable hot climates, permanently wearing masks and searching for those last jobs that have not yet been taken by robots? To know more about the event, speakers, schedule, how to register, you have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. On the same day, on the 24th, on a Zoom webinar, but this time starting in Budapest in Hungary, we have the revival of liberalism in Central Europe. What are the liberal roots of the Visegrad project? Does the group still have a political relevance in the European Union? What is the region's relation to liberalism? How can we fight against illiberal tendencies? 
This event is organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Republican Institute. And then from the 26th to the 28th of June, based in Brussels in Belgium, we have another Zoom webinar, this one called Energizing Europe, Raising Climate Ambitions and Boasting Energy Solutions for Growth. It is crucial that liberalism remains relevant in the debate regarding climate change by presenting ideas that demonstrate how our ideology can tackle problems. Solutions and preventing climate change through liberal principles will be exactly the core of this project. And this one is also organized by European Liberal Forum with the support of LIMEC. Again, to know all about this event, just go to our webpage liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now, but I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast is organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament, and the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any use that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>